we love you and we care for you, and we pray God's blessing uh, over the family. I'd like you to raise your hand, or if you're online, I'll give you permission to. Ken doesn't even always raise his hand. <laughs>
to decide what they're going to do with that house. So the house is built. We've been told to appeal to wisdom. We've been warned about folly. But if the house is built, then what's the feast to which people are being invited? I think the feast to which people are being invited is what we're going to find in the rest of Proverbs. Chapter 10 through chapter 31. That these are the actual content of the teachings that we are supposed to feed upon. Remember, Scripture tells us man does not live on bread alone, but what? On every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the feast to which Lady Wisdom is saying, I am about to offer you these teachings and these words. And so the house is built. The invitation is ready. The table is set. And the question simply becomes, as we continue reading Proverbs, are you going to consume it? Are you going to eat these words? But for there to be a choice, we have to realize there are, in fact, two houses that we're choosing between. And here's the second house. The foolish woman is loud. She is ignorant and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, on a seat at the high places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Folly's house is our second choice. And as these two women are introduced in chapter 9, we recognize there's a huge difference between the ways they conduct themselves. Lady Wisdom is busy in a flurry of activity, building a house, uh, shaping her pillars, uh, slaughtering the animals, mixing her wine. She is busy and active as she sets the table. If you read, as you read Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1 through 3, you should be exhausted. You ever been around somebody like that as they're getting ready for dinner and they're, they're moving and they're getting everything done quickly? It's exhausting to watch, let alone to participate in. But now compare that to Lady Folly. She's the sloth of the story. How is she described? What action is she doing? She is sitting around. Twice mentioned what she means. She's just simply sitting there. And she's in a house. We don't know how she got the house. She didn't build it. Maybe through some way she has, she has received this house, probably through her means of deceit, bribery, theft, which tend to be Lady Folly's ways. But she did not build this house. Somebody else did, and she came in and took it. And there she is doing no work. She doesn't go out like wisdom does, looking for people and seeking for people. She just sits on her porch, and for whatever reason, people come to her. And so it's important to know what is Lady Folly's secret. Why do people come to her? People come to her because she promises a pathway that is easy, that is comfortable, and that requires very little of you. Notice the bread that's on her table is stolen bread. If you had to be honest, what would be easier to get a job working for 10, 15, 20 dollars an hour, working to save hundred thousand dollars? or robbing a bank. I mean, really, which is an easier approach? And so what we realize is that, that Lady Folly will often, in Proverbs, offer us the easy way out. And so we find that, that in these two houses, we really get a map that's going to help guide us through the rest of Proverbs. Wisdom will offer the right way with the honest acknowledgement that her way will sometimes require more work, but her way will always be better. Folly, on the other hand, will offer us a counterfeit to what is right. Her ways will always look easier, but her results never last. We're going to see that as we
we talk about in Proverbs, we're going to talk about intimacy, we're going to talk about friendship, we're going to talk about money, that theme's going to be repeated over and over again. If you can find the shortcut, the easy way, you're not going to find wisdom there. So Proverbs 9 ends, and we find ourselves at a crossroads. This would be the point in the Robert Cross poem where two roads diverge in the yellow wood. We're there right now as you get to the end of chapter 9. At the end of chapter 9, you can imagine somebody yelling out saying, you're either with us or you're against us. Because this becomes a time of moment. Proverbs has been telling us you're going to need to make a choice, but it's at the end of chapter 9 that choice comes. And I'm going to prove it by just briefly looking at chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, look at Proverbs chapter 10, and you'll find pretty quickly that Proverbs are structured by these two-line statements there. And I want you to look at the second line of all those phrases in chapter 10 and tell me what words you see repeated over and over and over again in the second line. What do you see? Not a rhetorical question. But you will look at how the second line begins, and it's going to begin with the word but, which is a representation of the fact that you're either going to do it this way or you're going to do it that way. Every single proverb will give you a choice. You're either going to set up your residence in wisdom's house or you're going to set up wisdom in folly's house. You cannot live in both houses. Every proverb is going to send us in opposite directions. And so we come to find we are at the point of decision. And if you're going to need to build a house, you're going to want to make sure you have the information to choose your house wisely. So why would anyone choose wisdom's house? We're going to go back to chapter 8 to answer that question. Chapter 8, verses 9, 4 through 9. Wisdom begins with a command to listen, to, her, to, to, to obey what she has to say. And then she gives the reason. She has the word for, and she will give several reasons. I'm not going to read the text. I'm just going to read the reasons. She says, because I have trustworthy things to say. I speak what is right. I say what is true. My lips detest wickedness. My words are just not one word of hers is crooked or perverse. There's kind of a repeated theme, isn't there? Wisdom says, I'm going to tell you what is true. And you can rely on my words because they are true. And so as she affirms the truthfulness of her words, then in verses 10 through 11, she says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot be compared with her. So the second command wisdom gives in chapter 8 is to take or to choose. That's the first word there in, in verse 8, sorry. So we're going to choose, and what are we going to choose? We're going to choose her instruction. Now, I'm going to remind you guys, we've talked about this word before. It's the word muskar in Hebrew. And it is a word that can be translated as instruction or discipline and has all sorts of other uh, translation options for us. Chastise, or chastening, correction, punishment, warning. There's always a sense of challenge and rebuke in this word. So we're saying we're going to go buy a house and wisdom saying, I want you to live in my house. And if you come and live in my house, what can you expect? You can expect there will be instruction. There will be discipline. There will be challenge. Because wisdom will tell the truth. I remember when I first went to college and I did what most people do. You start asking other people, so who are the good professors and who are the bad professors? And what classes do you want to take? And what classes should you avoid? And I noticed a theme in the responses. People would say, oh, you should take Professor X because he or she 
so easy. And that seemed to be the theme, like as if a good class is a class that is easy. Now I have this weird kind of uh, philosophy of education, which is if I'm paying thousands of dollars to get an education, do you know what I want at the end of it? I want an education. I know it's a weird concept, but if you're going to pay for something, maybe you actually want to get that which you're paying for. And so I said, I don't want to know who the easy teachers are. I want to know who the best teachers are. And they'd say, yeah, well, the best teacher is going to make you do some work. You're going to have to study. You're actually going to have to read books. You might have to stay up late and do work. And for most people, they would say, well, in that case, I want nothing to do with that professor. But if wisdom is a professor, we are asking the question, are we going to take a class that says, I will tell you the truth in this class every single time. But it will require instruction, correction, discipline. In fact, Lady Wisdom tells us the ideal student, what they look like. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8, it says, The wise, when rebuked, will love you. Give instruction, that's Muscar, give instruction to the wise, and they will become wiser still. What do the fools do when rebuked? Drop out of class. You want me to do what for my term paper? That sounds really hard. How am I going to do, have all of my fun parties and do that all in one? I mean, this is not going to work. I'm dropping this class because I'm going over to Lady Paula's class because she expects nothing of me. We sit around on the porch all day long. Lady Wisdom does not bury the lead. Lady Wisdom has no bait and switch. She tells you up front, I will tell you the truth. And you're going to need to choose instruction and discipline if you choose to come and live in my house. But there is good news with the choice. Lady Wisdom promises, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. There's going to be a theme that's repeated throughout our body, which is if you aim for certain things, the best you can get, if you can get it, is that. And riches becomes an example here. If you seek riches, the best you will be able to get is riches. But if you seek wisdom, you may simultaneously receive not just wisdom, but also riches. Think about Solomon and the choice that he made. And he asked God for wisdom. So here's what we know. Wisdom is inviting us to take up residence in her house. Wisdom speaks what is true. Moving into her house will require discipline. There's also a great reward for it. And if you're an informed consumer, you're going to want some fruit. And if I'm going to do what wisdom tells me to do, I want fruit that she can do what she says she will. And so Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22, is her resume. This is the beginning of her credentials. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. Now, we've been traveling down a single pathway here for a moment, and we just encountered a detour sign. So we're going to take this detour, and hopefully at the end of it, you're going to realize we're back on the original path. But if you're wondering where we're going, it should be a little confusing because we're going to follow a detour for a little bit as we talk about wisdom's credentials. Because there's a word here in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22, that has caused havoc for thousands of years. And I'm not going to tell you what that word is. I'm going to tell you a few stories about that word, first of all. The very first church council, this is an extra-biblical event, where, where all the church leaders got together. They go 
to discuss the teachings of a guy named Arius. And what Arius was doing was he was going around and saying certain things, and all those things were based on, guess what text? Proverbs 8.22. And so the very first meeting where all these people get together is over a content that's in this passage. 1984, the NIV decided to update their translation. They got a committee of seven scholars together who were looking at the book of Proverbs. They get to Proverbs chapter 8.22, and they begin to debate this word, and they spend 25 hours talking about how to translate one single word. At the end of those three complete days, they voted five people to translate it one way, two to translate it the other way. At that same time, the Gideons, you know the Gideons, the people who built Bibles and all the hotel rooms? The Gideons were prepared to begin using the NIV as their primary translation and all those things. When that word was translated the way the NIV did, you know what the Gideons did? Deals off. We are no longer using your Bible because how you chose to translate that word. Why do I tell you this story? I tell you this story because it's worth us spending a little bit of time on Proverbs 8.22. I'm not going to resolve all the issues. I'm going to introduce them to you. So what's the word? The word in Proverbs 8.22 in Hebrew is Tanah. And here's how it's translated. New Revised Standard, as we read, the Lord created me at the beginning of his work. NIV Proverbs 8.22, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Proverbs 8.22 in the New American Standard Bible says that the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way. The two major, there's three ways it's often translated, but the major English translations will either translate it as created or as possessed. And the difference between these two words is pretty big. Because if it is possessed, it means it already exists and God simply assumed it as his own. But if it's created, it means that there was a point in time that it did not exist. And say, so, okay, Craig, I'm still not sure why there's a big deal about this word. word. And there's a one-word answer. This is the simplest thing. One-word answer to why it's a big deal. And that answer is Jesus. There's been a long-standing tradition that sees wisdom as Jesus. And if this translation, if this uh, word is translated as created, and you think wisdom is Jesus, guess what? You are now going to be forced to say that Jesus is created. That was what the Council of Nicaea was there about. That's what Eris was saying. Eris was saying that, that Jesus was brought forth from the Father, that he was, he was created by God, which means, therefore, he is subservient to God, and he is not God. The Council of Nicaea correctly comes together and says Jesus is of the same substance as the Father. Jesus is indeed deity. He is indeed God. And that's the right conclusion. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing came into being. It matters how that word is translated based on what you believe who you believe wisdom is. I'm also going to point out, we're not going to dig into this, Proverbs 8.30 becomes another crucial word in the translation. You'll see New Revised Standard speaks of wisdom like a master worker or a craftsman. Somehow wisdom participates in creating. Or as the NIV translated, I was constantly at his side where wisdom is there watching God doing the creating. It makes a big difference whether wisdom is creating things or whether it's, uh, wisdom is observing creation. Now, I cannot, in a five-minute part of a sermon, summarize 25 hours of scholarly discussion. But here's what I can do. I can tell you there's a thing called the Internet, and most of you can probably access it. Uh, there's resources available that I 
see wisdom fully personified until we see wisdom in the flesh, and that's Jesus Christ. So wisdom is the shadow. Jesus is the actual being for which wisdom foreshadows. But all of this bears on the translation here in these texts. So we left on that detour talking about why would we follow wisdom's ways? You know, what's, what's her credibility? What are her credentials? And creation is her credibility. Creation is her credential in terms of where she was when this happened. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 19 says, The Lord thy wisdom founded the earth. What wisdom is, is wisdom is a, a, an order. Wisdom gives the world order and structure as God creates it. Uh, Leonard Bolstrom says, God invented wisdom and creation. So only through wisdom can one discern how to live successfully in this world. To live a rich life in this world, we need to understand the ways God embedded this world with wisdom. Wisdom and creation is all about its validity and credibility. Do you remember the book of Job? When all these conversations happening back and forth, in Job chapter 8, God shows up. And God starts asking a bunch of questions, right? Here's, the, here's a few of the questions God asks. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Or who shut the sea, the sea with its doors when it burst out from the womb? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? And we are supposed to mention Job just going, nope, I don't know. How'd that happen? I don't know. And it's to, to exemplify the limits of his knowledge, the limits of his wisdom. But to all of these questions, there is someone who can put their hand up and say, yep, I was there. And that's Lady Wisdom. You'll notice in Proverbs chapter 8, it's laid out, Proverbs 8, verses 23 through 35, part of the four passages of creation. Wisdom will talk about all the things. She was there before these things came into being. Ages ago, I was set up before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, there were no springs before the mountains and before the hills. And then there are the when passages, Proverbs 8, 26 through 30, that when these things were created, wisdom is saying, I was there at that time. Witnessing and observing this, when the fields had not uh, uh, had not yet made earth and fields, when the world's first bits of soil, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle around the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the firm the foundations of the deep, when he signed the sea to its limit, so that its waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master worker. And I was daily delighting, rejoicing before him always. These are the credentials of wisdom. Are you going to trust your own wisdom, which at some point in this world came into being? Or are you going to trust the wisdom that existed before even the world came into being? There's wisdom that cultures have. There are things that people teach and things that people share. But there's only one wisdom that precedes people. One wisdom that precedes creation, and that is the wisdom that God calls us to. And so armed with the information of Proverbs 8 and 9, we come to a point where we all make a choice. The house is built. The table is set. The, the meal will be offered to us beginning with Proverbs 10. And we have to each decide, am I going to take the way of wisdom? And just so you know, if you're thinking, you know, kind of a New Testament Christian, I don't know why I would feast and build my house at wisdom's foundation. 
If wisdom is the shadow of Jesus, the actual reality, we might expect that Jesus will fulfill and complete something that Christ begun. I want to read from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. We too are deciding which house we will choose. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. Wisdom's way is the rock. Wisdom that is fulfilled in Christ is the rock. If you do not build your life, your house, on that rock, when troubles and hardship comes, it will be destroyed. That's what Jesus says in verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. It's time to choose where you're going to build your life, what house you're going to be in. If you this morning are ready to make that choice, in, 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 in our Christian confessions, we, we build our foundation on these texts in the New Testament, we recognize that the act of baptism is submitting your own ways, your own knowledge, to the ways and the wisdom of God. It is giving up on your way of doing things, it is embracing God's way of doing things. And so you have an opportunity this morning to, uh, to respond to that. Uh, catch me, I will be in the back somewhere else that. Catch someone and say, I want to build my house on that firm foundation. Or maybe you've built, been choosing the way, uh, claiming to choose the way of wisdom, but in reality you've been choosing the way of falling. And you want to get back onto that firm foundation. Find someone to pray with you this morning. Before we leave, I want to offer a word of blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And as we go back into the world today, we go with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the love of God.